This is the, the multi-sport multi podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. Welcome to the 128th JBST.com Smartcast. I'm Joe Beer and I'm joined once again by Southport Racing's Martin Crocker, who last appeared in podcast number 124. So for all those people that have been emailing, sending threatening letters... Um, in, <laughs> effectively, it's one person and it might have been my mum. Oh, is it? Okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs Crocker. Hello, Hello to everybody. Hello to everybody. We are now... Approaching May, we are doing this recording at the end of April. So May, to me, always feels like it's the season proper. It's here. Um, April is a is a preempt to the seasons in in most cases. Yes, they're already across the the people that we are talking to triathletes. Yes, there have been um, certainly races um, down under and elsewhere on the planet. There's Definitely uh, duathlons that have gone gone on that are the, the bigger duathlon races. Sportifs, you know, their winter, summer, they're all year round. Road races kicking off, time trial is kicking off. Runners, 365 days, so that's always going. Mountain biking, well, I'll leave that to you to tell me what's going on there. And people that are into fitness, I think this is where they, you know, some people do literally pop out the woodwork. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and, and just sort of say, oh, great, clock's changed, temperatures are better. Oh, it's just, I feel fitter. Oh, this is great. And I think this, you know, May, June, July, August, roll it into September. This is the five-month block that we've all been waiting for through the winter. And what's priceless as well is when the clocks have changed, we've had quite a nice spell of uh, decent weather as well. So people Absolutely. have been managing to get out there and do their thangs. Yes. Uh, thank you for those that have put reviews in. I don't know whether we can't get any more than the current 30-something reviews, but we've had... Um, 34 ratings um, and 30 of them are five stars so thank you very much thank you very much it's really nice that it's I know not everyone's going to do it I know some people listen to this through um, different means not necessarily iTunes and I think we we need to look at probably putting it out through some different avenues so that people that aren't into iTunes can listen to it you can always go to the podcast link via jbst.com which can take you to a page where you can just play it through your actual browser because we have had questions about look what if i'm not into itunes but i've looked at a couple of places and i need to work out the place that we can put this that's for non-itunes people or for people that just want an alternative to to listen to it because otherwise you can't just assume that itunes is going to be that's the it. place for people yeah. to um people to look at it so or listen to it even so um at jbst.com, there are two pages that will probably be of interest. There's a training page and a learning page. And there are articles, there are some retro PDFs of articles from many a, a year ago. And there are downloads of various types. So if you haven't actually been there, things that are talked about 
article-wise relating to base training, interval training, swimming, biking, um, loading up on supplements or various things. There's quite a lot of it at jbst.com and just go to either the learning, which is more reading type stuff, um, and there's also the links to this podcast, to the newsletter and so forth, but also in, at the training pages there are training programs, there are individual workouts, and there's software for people to look into. So, been busy Good with work. the website. Well done, mate. Well, no, I just Good think it's, you know, there's there's only some there's only so many ways that you can do these things, and sometimes people do like to read it, or they do like to go off and, you know, maybe they've maybe they've missed a certain issue of a magazine, but often the content that certainly five or six years ago to now that stuff is now being used often by magazines and being rekindled, rekindled. Yeah, put yeah, out yeah. put out through um you know 220 triathlon bike radar um and other places and it's just you know you you yes you need to not overindulge in reading and get yourself overly confused but if we can and if there's something that i think adds to what we're talking about i'll point you to to an article and tell you where it is on the website boom boom um what what do you know come on just give us a give us a an um a, a a retail or a product or a thing that's happening that you're aware of um th- there's nothing kind of like outstanding i think everybody's pretty done, much done just it. waiting to to yeah. kick off now so and i mean we've had a relatively i'd say a relatively com- quiet kind of winter really compared to previous years so it's been relatively mild it's been relatively dry in some aspects Um, but I think now like I said the clocks have changed it's just I don't know whether it's me but you just see loads more people out like tonight coming over to to obviously uh, talk to you guys and uh, and to see Joe here we've uh, you know I've bumped into a load of runners that are out um, you know guys that are still out on bikes so yeah it just it, it just seems the season has the season's crept up on us kind of a little bit quietly but now mm. as soon as the clocks went back bang mm. everybody's into it so and do you know do you notice that because i notice it sometimes from a point of if people are already um being coached there, there is a, a, a sort of a change in mindset that i can see in quite a few people but do you notice just more just footfall through the front door yeah, and just yeah, more yeah, yeah. interest people sort of like oh i want my race bike set up or oh, i need this i need that do you actually do, do you literally see it go um you know from a quite slow to suddenly people all yeah. wake up and yeah you i do. think almost almost from like a, a decent kind of constant stream to where the footfall kind of picks up massively inquiries pick up more um you know pretty much everything so you know you know the season is upon you you know everybody's starting to think you know a bit further forward now after they've done their decent planning for the winter and done Mm. their base miles etc etc so you know everything starts to come to the to the, the the fore now um and to be perfectly honest, you've got the guys that are ultra prepared. You know, they've been prepared. Their race bike setup's been done a month or so. You know, they're ready yeah. to go. They're doing their training. Mm. To, to the guys that just think, well, actually, I'd give this a go. Is, is there any chance you can have a look at this, that, and the other? And then, yeah, yeah. brilliant. So there's... But don't, don't you find, off a slight tangent, that you do have to get prepared? Because however, um, however you look at it, people that involve a bike in their sport, triathletes, duo athletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, you know, not mountain bikers. Yes, man, yes, mountain bikers, not runners. 
Um, the moment you put a bike into the equation, there's always that bit that somebody says, oh yeah, that's on order, or oh yeah, I've just, I've got to sort that out, but oh, it's not as easy as I thought, I need, I need more stackers, or I need different aero bits, or I need yeah. my DI2 hole drilled out. There's always that little bit that people think they're really prepared, and then they realise that you can almost never be overly prepared, even no. if you had your race bike all ready to go a month or two ago. Great, that's better than somebody now that's saying, oh, what, you can't get that part for my bike? Oh, I thought that was compatible, because there's so many issues with almost every bit yeah, of the bike. Yeah, 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 it's, it's massive, and, and, and you know, the the no matter, like you said, no matter how well prepared you are, regardless of whether it's bikes, swimming kit, running kit, you know, mountain bikes, anything, you know, you, something always pops its head up but mm. then you the good thing is is you've got breathing space to be able to deal with it and you so yeah. you know the major stress is not you know if you've lost two days training then you know it's not going to end your season is yeah. it let's be yeah. brutally honest you know yeah. sometimes people do have that we had a conversation before we started and i think sometimes people do have a bit they kind of get overly stressed about stuff that that sometimes it's like look if if you you know if you went off plan for for three days or five days, it's all right. Just you know, things like that happen. It's it's how you deal with yes. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's making sure that the you know the the race doesn't suddenly jump up and you go, oh, it's next week. Oh, I thought I thought I had another two weeks. I mean, that is is bad planning. But at any point, people need to be able to get a little bit more, like you know. I don't know, flexible and, and not and, and take it on the chin and go, OK, oh, so, you know, I thought I was going to do that ride, but it didn't come off or, oh, there's been a change of plan on what I thought I was going to do because my mates are doing different training. OK, whatever, because there isn't any one week or any one series of sessions that actually is going to make you so significantly different that if you don't get them done, sorry, that's it, end oh, of. And it. so you can, as long as you're getting most things done most of the time, you're probably all right. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And let's be brutally honest, at this time of year now, you can hold your hands up and say, I've had a pretty good winter or I've had a pretty bad winter. And there's a question on that, so don't go further. Don't all go right. any further. Don't go any further. There's a question on that. Okay. So, yeah, we'll have, have a look, look at the question. Yeah. <laughs> um, Spoke about it a minute ago through the jbst.com and go to the learning bit. Um, Newsletter-wise, uh, I just wanted to say thank you to uh, David Meenan, Christine Smith, Luella O'Hurley, Bruce Robertson, Chris <laughs> Yates, Nick Kiriako, oh, I know that name from years ago, definitely, definitely, definitely from years ago, and Paul Flynn. Thank you, recent subscribers, um, and there's some other people that have subscribed, so people are... Um, subscribing to that and one will be going out soon now we've just had this one haven't we sent through that's right um this is from somebody we both know a triathlete called andy lambert and i'm going to read this in full and this will be the first of about i reckon we've got about six q and a's and some research Ooh. okay so he says uh hi joe crocker hope you are well uh, enjoyed recent podcasts it made london to birmingham journey pass very quickly um you have a good rapport with crocker send in my regards please so i'll just send you his regards um you may recall that i have leukemia i think i may have mentioned it at the last training camp i attended anyway i'm heavily involved with leukemia and lymphoma research uh, which is called lrr and i've recently been appointed as their triathlon guru on the basis that after 15 years in the game and having made every mistake there is, <laughs> um, I can help others avoid them. 
Um, LLR are title sponsors of the Blenheim Triathlon for the next couple of years and have about 1,100 registered to compete for them, of which about half of them are doing the first try. Uh, my role is to answer simple questions for first-timers. Um, also intend to get friends and try colleagues that I've met over the years to give some expert advice. Hence contact, contacting you. Um, I was wondering if you'd spare five minutes or so for your next podcast to impart some not-too-technical advice to budding would-be triathletes um, near the time um, I would put a few words together explaining who you are to those that don't know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and how I got to know you, etc., etc. Uh, this would go up on the LLR website and hopefully the Brennan website and would reference your forthcoming podcast. Um, what do you think? Don't worry if you're too busy. Um, hope you enjoyed this year's training camp. And Dave and Gary, I hope they took it um, easy at their time of life. <laughs> um, that's an in-joke between those three, but um, they're, they're both alive, well and kicking. Um, and he says uh, he's also signed up for next February's training camp. Good on him. Um, so I think, you know, Five minutes of the podcast, we can do that, and I can do more um, written stuff for you, Andy, definitely. Um, not too technical advice for triathletes. I, I think, bottom line, don't overthink it. I mean, if you're, if you're doing something um, and it's, it's not an ultra-distance triathlon, then most people have actually got the endurance to do it once they've done a bit of training. And it sounds a really sounds really painfully stupid or obvious, but I think that sometimes people over complicate you've got to do three sports you've got to have been swimming you've got to be biking you've got to be running but don't think that somehow putting them together is some dark art of immense improbability to ever get right that's right it's actually amazing how people do it and then afterwards go yeah kind of i got the measure of that now it's not as it's not as difficult yeah of course quite tired on the run and blimey oh actually it's quite a it's quite a hefty swim when there's loads of people around you and it's open water etc etc but actually if you think about it logically and just get enough training and modest endurance putting the three together um for something like blenheim is actually not or shouldn't be thought of as um as, as sort of you know impossible as some people make it out to be because it's the first timer um you've only got to look around you perhaps at people you know that have done triathlon think well actually if they can do it yeah of course i can do it and i think don't overthink it yeah really don't overthink it and, and enjoy it and have a great um have almost like a, a great time just going off for a you know a, a I don't know, a 10-mile bike ride. You might not have been riding. You might just be listening to this and starting to think, oh, clocks are changed. I've got to start my training. But you know, go off and ride your bike for, for, for 10 miles, come back think, oh, blimey, need a new pair of cycle shorts, and then put some running shoes on and jog around the block for 10 minutes and go, oh, actually, I can, I can do the bike and yeah. run a bit. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be fast. No, you're not there to be fast. You're there to, um, you know, to be part of this um, sort of LLR group and as part of the whole ethos behind racing which yes there's winners and yes there's people competing for, for top age groups but i like races like this that have a you know kind of an underlying theme yeah. that goes outside of just fitness it goes to the whole bigger world of look this is to do with you know leukemia lymphoma research this is a bigger thing that they're doing it for not you know a title sponsor that is a you know a particular chocolate bar or car or whatever this is the bigger picture and yeah. so to, so to be part of that is you're kind of embracing and and being really kind of like i don't know very positive in your actions so enjoy it don't yeah. don't make it as though you've got to prove anything to anybody just get round and go wow 
do you know, I've done one and I might do some of those from time to time. It was actually good fun. You certainly don't have to do an event like that and in the next several months totally transform everything about your life and your diet and your groups of friends and how you get to work and everything like that. You don't have to change so drastically. Just enjoy it. Have yeah. a blast. And another thing as well for it is... I particularly like to watch triathlon on TV because you always get the commentator or the pro commentator going, oh, this is his or her particular weak part of her, of her three, you know, or of his three. And you're kind of in your head, you go, oh, right, well, they have a weak side to, to, to their, their competition, as it would be, you know. So at the end of the day, if you kind of think, oh, I'd really love to give triathlon a go, but my swimming's dreadful. A, can you swim? Yes. B, can you ride a bike? Yes. C, can you run? Yes. Yeah. There you go. Or just move forward on two feet. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't yeah. matter. Just if it's something that you want to have a go at, there should be no element of that stopping you. Yeah. If yeah. you can do yeah. the basics of all three, they're yeah. brilliant. And obviously I get I get what Andy is doing this for and I and I wanna give um some extra time to that, but I don't want it to be thought of as that I always think people should become triathletes. If somebody said they, you know, they wanted to do, you know, their first hundred mile sporty, but yeah, great. I don't think there is an automatic gravity towards people having to do multi-sports. No, no, Lots no. of people move around these things yeah. and, and oh, dip yeah, yeah. in and out and therefore they might do this triathlon, but actually they get more into just riding their bike and end up doing six sporties a year because they really like it yeah, and the run brilliant. they got through, but they said... Wow, with my knees, I'm not going to do many. <laughs> not going to do many of those, but they might dip in and out. But I think you know this is always meant to be, you know, a a multi-sport podcast. But not just for people that are multi-sports, but just for the kind of whole ethos of look, you do something endurance-wise. We're not talking to um, a group of sprinters or basketball players or any kind of you know tennis, squash, or anything like that. We're talking to people that generally do stuff for quarter of an hour, hour and a quarter, 12 and a quarter hours, that kind of whole yeah. ethos that might be an Endura rider that does a 24-hour or could be a, you know, triathlete that takes 16 hours to do an Ironman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that you know, this is, this is where there's really good things whereby you're using an event that people sort of compete and challenge themselves, but actually to have a much bigger underlying reason for doing it you know and i don't think there's enough of that i really don't no. and i'm not i'm not you know i i think i have had in the past sometimes too much of a performance bent on things yeah and not realized that actually yeah i didn't think about doing that for charity it didn't really go through my brain at that point in time but now i get why people do it yeah. absolutely and i think it's a great and could you know it it shouldn't be that people shouldn't want to compete and think about it as a as a, a challenge of excellence but at the same time it's amazing what people that are they could be halfway down the field, they could be at the back of the field, what they do in terms of supporting charity, generating interest. We've just seen the London Marathon and what it does yeah, in yeah. terms of, yeah, there's, you know, there's but a few fast people and there's people that do PBs and there's people that do, you know, personal worst, but what it generates in terms of, you know, human spirit and human well-being, I think is amazing. Exactly, especially if it's close to your heart, um, you know, and and no one can, I don't think there's hardly anybody in uh, in this country slash world can hold their hands up and say, you know, certain diseases haven't affected certain aspects of their life. So, you know, if that's the case, if that gives you the fuel to mm. go out and mm. do something like this or or something completely different that, you know, people will go, so you're doing what? Sorry. And brilliant. 
go and do it. Well yeah. done. Yeah. So next. Uh, thanks, next, Andy. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Um, I'm see you in February. I'll try and get Martin there as well. <laughs> uh, this is from uh, Bren Whelan, and he's a mountain instructor um, and mountain leader. And he says, "Cheers, Joe and Crocker. I'm currently." St- Studying um, sport in college and been an outdoor instructor, marathon runner, outdoor instructor, sorry, marathon runner and triathlete. I find your podcast an excellent resource. I find the January show very interesting because of the question about the London Marathon before Outlaw Half Ironman event. I'm doing uh, a Half Ironman event followed by the Derry Marathon a week later, which I feel is a much better schedule. Are you flipping it back to front? Um, all in all, I love the review of the research and studies and the Q&A slots. So keep up the great work. It's all very appreciated by us all. That's really nice. Isn't Thank it? you very much. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think sometimes he's he's got it right that probably a marathon after higher after. Um, a half Ironman. I mean, a week later is still, you know, he's <laughs> still he's still got you <laughs> know he's still got a half Ironman. Which if you wear far too flimsy shoes, run far too hard in the latter stages, trying to get those last few seconds off, can actually be one heck of a challenge to then be a week later running twenty six miles. I think even that schedule is is a difficult one, but sometimes people's schedule doesn't absolutely fit to to the perfect scenario. So, you know, you get a lot of people that do the um uh they do, you know, a marathon but they won't run another one for six months. Yeah. And then somebody else will run one and say, Oh yeah, but there's one I really want to do and it's only three weeks later, but oh I'll struggle through. And as long as they don't want a double peak then that's fine. And sometimes, perhaps, um, in Bren's situation, you know, the half Ironman event is more important than the Derry Marathon. Or which, you know, yeah. you know, um, he's he's put he's doing a you know half Ironman and the Derry. He doesn't say which one is necessarily the, the priority. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that is a difficult thing sometimes for people to actually say not to say oh, it's a training race, because at some point you've got to say, no, I raced that. But you might say, I'm going to race the second one, but I know damn well that I'm still going to have part of the first one in my body. And the powers of recovery, uh, you've only got to see how the elite runners that do well at things like, say, London Marathon or Ironmans or, or, you know, Tour de France even. Okay, cycling's a little bit different because you can accelerate the recovery. But running-wise, anything with a hard running aspect... Once they do it, they don't reappear and do it again a week later. You know, you get somebody crack London Marathon and they'll just go off, just disappear. They do all the PR, they do lots of stuff that makes it look like they're still doing stuff, but they certainly aren't running the next weekend later no. doing it all over again. And I think you have to be realistic as well. You know, there's there's, there's nothing turning around saying, no, you can't do that. You know, you, you're not allowed to do it. Uh, and in Bren's case, I think you must... you must be realistic you probably just go well look you know i quite enjoy i quite enjoy the half iron man um you know but i know the marathon's going to suffer yeah, so yeah. you know you, you as long as you're realistic with that you then can't expect you know if fair dues if you turn around and say yeah you know i've pb'd my marathon a week you know a week after i did a half iron man then brilliant you know fair dues but uh, you know you just have to be realistic with it and just be prepared for niggles as well um, you know, if you're going to get any of little niggles after the run, then 
you know, you, you again have to be realistic with what you think you're going to achieve mm. the week later. Mm. That's yeah. the thing. Because, yeah. you know, it's early in the... I mean, when... Bren. Bren, Bren doesn't say the date of when the... And, you yeah. know, if it's mid-season-ish, then to the mm. end of the season, mm. then fair dues. But, you know, if you do pick up a niggly, niggly little injury at the start of the season then you've got to kind of work out when am I going to get downtime to be able yeah, to, yeah. To, to to put it right. You know, and, but touch wood, hopefully everything goes uh, goes well. So yeah, Plus, um, you, you know, you've got you've got a situation where they're both impact-related, whereas if you had something... Um, well, having talked to people that have done... I mean, you've done mega long enduro rides, you know, overnight and stuff like that, and I think before some of you guys have even come and, like, done a time trial, like, four days, five days later, I mean, you've been pretty spent, yeah. but you've been able to do it, but then when push comes to shove, you go, blimey, I'm still tired, but you can do it, and that's the difference with the impact-related damage yeah, you yeah. get from a half or a marathon or or even an especially hilly, hard type running event um like you know our local you know january or february race that that is in you know in in Braunton, because of very excessive ups and downs it creates so much damage yeah um if it was a bike race you wouldn't think anything of it like 10 miles up and done that yeah what's the big deal but running wise it damages you and it's it's what damage that causes and is it damaged because it's just been slightly um yeah, slightly out of the blue because you haven't done any real intensity prep. Or is it just damaged because you're running on surfaces that will not let up. Therefore, you will always have a certain number of days. And people will say, you know, how many days do you get? I don't know. I, I've read and I've sometimes thought that it's at least a half a day to a day for each mile that you've run. Really? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, you don't you don't hear of elite marathoners not not the person trying to run as many as possible but elite marathoners you know touching anything excessive for quite a while after you know mm. I think I read Paula Radcliffe says she took two complete weeks off and that was two complete weeks off yeah yeah well, you know and yeah, that's, it, that's it 14 seems... days and that's half a, that's half a day <clears throat> for every mile oh, run. Wow. yeah yeah it seems excessive in in your mind in a certain way, but then you kind of you look at the realistic terms of the damage that it does. Yeah, yeah. Then and it also, makes perfect sense. Yeah, then. and also if if you've done the marathon or if you haven't done the marathon as good as you wanted, that doesn't accelerate your that's recovery. It, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just, just doesn't mean you've gone you've gone slower. Just because you're really motivated, it doesn't mean that you can almost you know combat the damage and that's different to somebody that is just completing it they're perhaps not hitting the floor as fast or as hard mm. they might be out there longer that doesn't mean they're going to have more muscle damage they could have less muscle damage it just depends on how much they're pushing themselves you know do they blow up and if you blow up and slow down due to lack of carbs you can often find that that actually reduces the damage because people can't push themselves, push themselves whereas right, if they've yeah. been able to push themselves to the limit based on effort and almost having a, you know unrestricted energy that's when they do the most damage combine that with a you know a, a even a, a latter half of a marathon or half marathon being hilly and the damage is such that people are you know walking downstairs backwards and just ba <laughs> barely able to to walk I, I remember one race that I did in the states and I couldn't do anything more than go down the stairs backwards for five days i could not walk downstairs forwards on your, um, on your bum sliding down well yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely and it's kind of muscle damage and and i just think that if you see 
um, even elite athletes, there's always pictures. I remember there was a classic picture. It was a little mini video of Scott and Edley trying to go down the stairs That's right, yeah, I the next, that, the next yeah. day after, uh, I think it was Ironman Western Australia. You know, and he, was, he, he basically looked like an 80-year-old trying to even get down the stairs in the morning. And you think, yeah, that's what it's about. If you start skipping down the stairs the next day, you think, okay, so perhaps you, you know, weren't able to hammer yourself into the ground. But when it comes to running, the damage should never be taken you know lightly no. and if you get those events a little bit too close there might be things happening that you didn't necessarily plan for um but good good question good brent question, and um thank you very for your uh, kind words always nice to know that you know people are uh, listening taking it on board we can always you know try and uh if you like, um, defend our position on things or say, this is why I think it is or isn't. And I think like that, you know, half a day to a day per mile run. If you do a 10K, then that's three days that you just stay off your feet. You might go pool running, you might go on a bike, you might do it. But that's not that much. That means you start back running perhaps on the Thursday morning. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you don't touch running. And what's going to happen in the meanwhile? Nothing. No. You're just going to not damage legs that have been pushed really hard. That's it. If you take a 5k, that means it might only be a day to two days, roughly, or even three days if you take a, you know, a day per mile run. But the moment you think about that, I think you're immediately realizing that there is a set amount you cannot get you cannot ignore you know you if if you if you just sort of say oh i see how i feel well people are bound to feel depending on how hard they've they've um they've run some people literally the next day say oh yeah but i didn't run hard enough and they're out running again and yeah. you think yeah, oh yeah. that's 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 not training that is um almost like self-harm yeah self-destruction self-destruction yeah, yeah. yeah whereas if you said like anything you tapered into it with a set amount of training sessions and days off and days of intensity and days of reducing volume we well, got to do that coming back up the other side you've yeah. definitely got to um you know to sort of taper in and taper out and if you say you know half a day and say okay half marathon right six days okay for six days you you don't run and there's other things to do particularly if you're multi-sports or if you're a runner then you just get used to pool running or you get used to you know doing stuff that's um just a bit different even a little bit of walking even you know stuff you don't go back into training anyway because if you've done a good race why do you want to go back into that's training it, that's it it's funny because i look back at kind of ultra marathons that you used to do so you know 30 well 26 and up mileage wise and i kind of look back after an ultra marathon after doing 32 miles and thinking my line of thought was kind of well we'll just we'll see how it is after about a week and you kind of go for a little bit of a jog after a week and then you instantly go oh no no we'll, we'll, we'll leave that on for a little bit longer yeah so then you just like you said you just try something different so whether that be the swimming or i obviously would just go cycling just gently cycle yeah. and you normally find after about a space of a two and a half weeks, you kind of get back on the running again and go, oh, that still feels a bit sore, but mm. you do some very slow, gentle kind of flat runs or, or, or off-road running, mm. as in just grass, field, track running, um, and then you find you get back into it. But yeah, kind of looking back now, you, you, you as soon as you start listening to your body as well, as soon as you start to go for that run and you go, oh, no, that didn't feel right, you can just go, well, no, I'm just turning around and walking back to the yeah. to the house or, or or to work and going nah, i didn't really feel right today and then getting back on the yeah. bike and then just going oh that feels a little bit easier yeah, 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 on the yeah, legs yeah. So, yeah 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 but at least you, you've, you've thought about it and again you're coming out with something that's at least half a day per mile that yeah you're oh running. yeah definitely yeah 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 over two weeks which you know i think if you have that mindset about 
anything that you build up to, it makes it matter on the day because what you do then is you think, well, I don't, I don't really care what happens over the finish line. The last thing you should be thinking about is, um, will I be going to the gym on Monday morning right. if, if you're <laughs> racing on a Sunday? Yeah. You know, if some of the best races are when you are just absolutely not even interested in looking at any type of kit, any bike or anything for several days because you've so pushed yourself, you really don't want to do it again and yeah. therefore you are quite rightly switched off. And that, again, is that mindset that if you've raced and you've raced, even if you haven't raced to your ability, if you've raced and given your best, you have to accept a certain amount of time before you get back yeah, into definitely. it. And then, and then you can kind of, you almost leave it on the on the, the sort of the event day, you don't sort of, you know, three quarters of the way through think, oh, I won't go too hard today. Because if I don't go too hard today, I'll be able to do some training tomorrow. I mean, it shouldn't even be in the vocabulary. Your mind, no. no, it should be over that line, I might not do anything for quite a while, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's different to three quarters of the way thinking, I've done too much racing. I think I'm, I think I'm, you know, I'm near the end of my season, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, is, which is different to... Oh, I've pushed myself really hard. I just want to get away from um, competing or even training for a while because I've put myself, you know, into a bit of a bit of a hole. Yeah, and definitely. that's the point is you've sort of dug down into your resources, and it takes that amount of days to come back out. And there are differing levels. If you've pushed yourself on a, I don't know, a mountain bike for for two hours, then you can certainly be back to it on the latter part of that week. It's still it's going to take a few days, even when people think they're going well. It still is silly to race back into training yes. yeah, yeah. because what you're gaining from it, there's no way you can bounce back so quickly that it was irrelevant. Mm. Every little high intensity competition takes something out of you, and you've got to consider how many days is that going to take to get back again. That's it. It was a good question, anyway, Brent. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Brent. This is from Jason Kilderry. And he says, uh, and I don't know what content he's on about because it's a retrospective print of, by the looks of it, that is a Facebook um, messenger message, right? Uh, it was done early April, so it was only only actually about two weeks ago. But he said, Joe, thanks for putting out uh, quality articles on training. Um, I was curious if you had any research on training with less carbohydrate and its effect on performance. I was under the impression that it would make an athlete more metabolically efficient, i.e. burn uh, more fat, um, but did not carry over into an increase in fitness. What's your thoughts? Thanks in advance. Um, I haven't sat down and read... Um, specifically for this answer but of what i have seen to this point there's certainly there's certainly some research that suggests that if you are low on carbohydrate it may cause slight differences in the actual training stimulus so you do get a different response but it's so difficult to to tease it out and work out, is it just that um, sometimes if somebody pushes themselves and they're slightly carbohydrate depleted, that that just makes the body have to almost react to that scenario? Or should everybody be you know, pushing themselves high intensity, but actually be low carbs? And on the flip side of that, other research would say you need high carbs to push the maximum intensity. 
and you'll be in a better mental and physical state as a result. If you go low carb and high intensity, you may you may almost break yourself in training. And that's the downside that they know that low carb, high intensity can work, but don't know to what extent, extent yeah. it can it can break or become a detrimental, detrimental training effect. effect. Yeah. I mean, it says, you know, and he says uh, training with less carbohydrate. So you can certainly do fasted training where you go out on zero carbohydrate um, and you teach your body to tap into fats. And um, I know because we're getting into the last month and by the time this goes out, it'll be the last few weeks of Scott Nedley's preparation for um, Lanzarote. And he's been doing some sort of three hour plus fasted rides. So going out, you know, just on water with a like uh, power bar sort of an, um, like an electrolyte. electrolyte tab yeah. in it and just doing that and making um, basically making the body dip into its reserves there's a couple of other tweaks you can do in that session that you add a few other things to the drink to make your body burn stuff um it's no secret the articles are out there but it's so high level and it's got a, a it's got a downside to it that if people start doing it and really they're grabbing at straws it could be more harm than good but it definitely is low carb teach your body to tap into reserves but it does often leave people a little bit low because, you know, you've still gone out for maybe one or two or even three hours and done it on water. And that's quite a difficult thing. And that used to be old school as, oh, it's the best way to train. But we know that there's only so much of that you can do. It really is. Yeah. And would, would you say sometimes that for 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 kind of the, the, the average athlete, would you say that that was probably a risky line to run? Um, with reference to it, you know, almost could, could it possibly cause things like illness? You know, um, obviously, you, like you said, getting worn down to the point where you're kind of mentally broken with it. Um, you know, because I guess doing that to your body all the time, hammering your body, um, there must be a point at which you know something breaks um Absolutely. especially with us kind of with us mere mortals as it would be yeah yeah um, yeah you, yeah Absolutely. You know, if if it's a to to do these high intensity exercises would you say you know you still need that quality fuel to be able to burn and if you just get the wrong side of mm. of the of the weight line i call it yeah. pretty much you you drop below kind of what you do naturally store anyway without the quality um, food or carbohydrates behind it, do you do you run the risk of kind of pushing yourself to that point where oh, you absolutely. just go pop? And yeah, then... yeah. Because one one of the th one of the things that's in the I don't know five, ten, twelve top things to keep your body um, more likely to get less illness and for you to be more consistent is to have carbohydrate in training. And they haven't just, you know, flippantly thrown that out. They've looked at studies and looked at scenarios. And there are definitely people that the moment you don't give them enough carbohydrate in one or two sessions per week, that they get ill. Yeah. Yeah. And it may be that there are slightly more susceptible people. It might be that people's situation with um, their workplace, their uh, the number of people in their family, the number of interactions they have with people means that there are some people that are just... It's not a coincidence, but they're just slightly more likely to be unwell anyway. Yeah. And this just tips it over. Sickly, that... sickly people, as we sickly used to call people. them. Sickly people. <laughs> but yes, there is the downside. You know, it isn't that, oh, great, 
go go low carb you know train hard and you're bound to get um you know much better because when people have gone a little bit in that um direction i think that they I, I think they get results, but I don't think that they automatically um, get much better results. I don't think it's necessarily that they just end up getting, you know, really significant improvements. I think there is, you know, there is something that gives them, um, uh, they get benefit. And that might just be that they're aware of carbs. They are perhaps a bit slimmer because some of the... Um, Perhaps some of the previous, not overconsumption of carbs, but some of the carb eating that they used to do doesn't happen now. Because I think if you're conscious about carbohydrate intake, either way, excessively too high or too low, you then start to think about it. And you can do, I mean, you can certainly do sessions up to an hour um, and do it on, you know, water or a zero carb electrolyte drink. That's fine. Obviously, if every time you trained, you did it on water and you did an hour's worth of training, you could still rack up enough days yeah. to create a glycogen deficit. And perhaps actually you weren't in zone one some of those times and you were using more carbs. Therefore, you actually did dip into your reserves. And I think. If I was if I was pushed to give a give my absolute, I would say there probably is very little that most age group amateur athletes can gain by severely restricting carb intake occasionally it's quite nice to have less carbs because you don't then if you're running you don't have so much jostling around in your stomach it can sometimes make sessions quicker and easier to get on with rather than people trying to find a bottle is it in the washing machine has somebody put it somewhere else where is it and before you know i've lost five minutes just trying to get their drink sorted out instead of go out the front door just just train um the longer the session the more you have to consider hydration and carbohydrates the harder the session the more likely that actually the carbohydrates can help you not only fuel the session by the fact that carbs tends to trigger at a higher level your ability to push hard but also you get them in so that they're in there ready to start your recovery hence it can take away the mega munchies that you can get that if you don't have a really good uh mental willpower if you underdo the carbs in training you can just overdo them afterwards that's right you yeah. know and it's and it's so interesting that you kind of think yeah there's you know there's some sessions where you want zero carbs for short to medium distances there's others that perhaps we don't know jason's distance you know but perhaps for ironman athletes where they need to teach their body to actually um, survive for a few hours without much so that they just tap into the reserves but other sessions where they teach their body actually to absorb it because on race day if you want to go fast you're going to have to use carbs you can't be the most fat efficient person out there and expect to be super duper fast you still need a certain amount of carbs people at elite level are not riding with nothing on their bike they definitely have got you can see they've got drinks they're whacking down stuff they are they're probably taking no less than three quarters of a gram per kilogram and probably in excess of that in most cases. So they're not super fit. I can use nothing whatsoever. Yeah. That'll get me round. So I think it always begs the question, how much carbs do you need in your event? And if you don't need a lot in your event because it's so short, then maybe some of your training, you can just get used to that sensation that, you know, somebody said once, oh, in a 10 mile time trial, do I need to drink? And it's like, no, you're going so short, you're going so hard, and the limit is not hydration or 
or um or carbohydrate intake actually no you should just be concentrating on dealing with the lactate that's in your body or the other byproducts i should say rather lactate but you know you should be dealing with that not wondering whether or not you should be hydrating because you're not going to hydrate you're that's not it. you're not yeah. even working for much more than 20 to 30 minutes so i think that you know the low carb high carb no carb teach your body have carbs every possible um different event and different person scenario means that you can't really give a, a unilateral a you yeah. can't say to everybody oh you've got to have a gram per kilo per hour no some sessions you do others you just have a um a low carb um tablet to just encourage you to drink to give you electrolytes but i think certain people like to have you know an absolute they like to say oh i always drink this for every session or no i never touch any of that stuff or well i once had this and it may be six so i never touched that particular brand and they don't actually think what am i trying to do in my training and is it going to help it or hinder it if i eat too much or eat too little or eat too close or eat too far you know yeah. there's yeah. some people who can eat run out the door and they can go and do a track session other people have to have three hours or their stomach will give them the heebie-jeebies and they can't they can't even think about touching anything till That's they get it. back home yeah. and um it, it's interesting because we're on that cusp of understanding a bit more about why low carb might work but it's not enough of a yes to give it the... Because if you say yes, then people will just go no carbs whatsoever. They won't have it. They'll be training on water all the time. They'll be trying to train long distance on water and sort of say, oh, well, I heard that, you know, low carbs got you better. It's like, no, even these things that you measure that suggest that carbs might have a slight, just a slight increase in benefit from certain sessions it's still only slight yeah it still doesn't make somebody you know 20 percent better because they do that it makes a tiny change in that particular session and if that particular session's outcome isn't what you want anyway it's irrelevant it's irrelevant yeah, ignore yeah. it absolutely ignore it but i mean a good question and it will unfold there is certainly um I will try and find it online. I know that Powerball put out some notes from a conference and one of the areas was low carbohydrate, you know, train high, train low, what's the outcome? And there was a speaker that did a, a very in-depth look at this of what we know to this point. And it was, it was interesting because it kind of said, well, yes, it might. No, it won't. This could, but not all the time. And um, as such, he kind of, you know, didn't stand on the fence, but there's only so many things that, you can ever um you can't give a you know you can't you can't give an absolute bottom line you've got to say in certain situations it does um and perhaps you know eventually we'll have a batch of sessions where we don't just talk about what somebody does training wise we say right you do an endurance you know two hour cycle you say it's the endurance two hour cycle on zero carb or it's the um you know the run interval session but with fueling after the fourth interval or something like that do you know what i mean because you cannot ever extract training away from nutrition or even the technologies you use they're all interlinked a, yeah, a certain yeah, training yeah. session done with right or wrong nutrition can change it certainly from the um point of view of how productive the person feels they are if every time you train you said well i'll never have anything but water or you said i always have a gel or whatever in some instances it would be completely the wrong way to do it it's a good question, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure we've done this one or not, but... Um, oh, yeah, we've done the one about the Ely Monster half. I know we did that one. Um, here's one, and this is from... Ba -ba -da -ba -da -da -ba. This is from Mike Drake, who is a client of mine, 
who's a time trialist, and he says, um, how can you tell if you had a good base period in winter? See, this is your question you were saying earlier. Yeah. Um, do you compare to previous year's numbers? Um, and it came in and it was a, it was a, a tweet um, via the at Coach Joe Beer Twitter feed, and he just sent this back. And straight away, I just my mind started sort of thinking, and I thought, well, yeah, how, how do you compare the winter? Because some people, they've known perhaps a better winter's worth of preparation than they've ever had before, and they know that they're in a better place. Okay, they've still got to put that into, um, you know, performance um Terms. outcomes and yeah. terms you can't just sort of say oh i'm bound to pb because that would be far too um far too easy a position to be in to sort of say yes i, I can't you know i'm in such a position now in april i cannot go wrong be like no you you could you could still get it wrong but perhaps you know have you had a good pace period what do you look at training do you yeah. look at technology do you look at have you bought a better bike which you'd you'd say well I would, I would imagine I've got, you know, more technology, the right, well, you name it, the right sprockets, tyres, wheels, helmet, whatever. You could change things that don't necessarily relate to how most people would say, have you had a good winter? I mean, they might have had a pretty normal winter. They might be fairly similar on their numbers, be it average speeds, power, whatever. But they've spent winter doing good admin. Their bike is in good condition. They've sorted out their events and therefore... I, I think it, it opens up a whole can of worms that, you know, yes, you can compare to previous year's numbers, but as we had a conversation before we started recording this, every year is different. Yeah. So even the conditions you're going to have at events that you do year on year are going to be, be different. different. Yeah, yeah. And if you cannot extract the data from it, it might be that you've had a better outcome from what you could do i had this recently with a client who had a power pb but didn't pb the distance because the conditions and the temperature were not as good, good. so you I... cannot even you know he, he pb'd but he pb'd on the power meter but on the results he didn't get as time as time was not as fast as the previous year so if you looked at that yes you can compare the previous numbers but it depends on which ones you're picking out yeah and and also i think with that as well is is you can you could almost have a bad start to the year couldn't you you know for instance if you've gone through your training and in in your mind the training feels as though it's gone all right you know like you said the weather could be hideous which means you at the start of the season could be could be awful and then you kind of look at it and then start coming into the season a bit more and then have a really strong finish to the season you know like you, you might have a really good start to the season last year um and think oh I'll do the same training again do the same training and uh, like joe says you know it might get to that point where you know the weather's been hideous at the start, which means you haven't, uh, you know, you haven't got to that point of uh, of being up onto it yet. Having, uh, um, you know, your PB set out at the start of the season, then slowly as you go through the season, you know, the weather might get better, uh, you get more comfortable, or, or, or the training kicks in, and then you might get faster. So I think there's no, there's no. There's no kind of set data where you can look at it and go, yep, yeah, well, there you go. I'm 20 watts up on last year. Yeah. You know, is this, you know, is, is this the way it's it's going to go now? You know, I, I've seen an improvement, you know. But they'll get to a point where you, you know, you might actually be so regimented that you might have this slow increase over maybe 
four, five seasons of training. Yeah. Um, but then you get to that plateau where, you know, you're not going to get anything more. You've you've wrung as as much of the juice out of it as you can possibly. Yeah. But, you know, the next step on might be a progressing kit or the next fastest thing. But yeah. that then again may not equate to, yeah. you know, the, the, the figures that you want. But I've, I've always thought, Crocker, that when... When you look at it, if you take the training and you're doing the, you know, certainly fairly up to date training methods, there's nothing that is always seems to be not actually a productive or a proven way to train. As long as you're doing fairly good training, you're fairly consistent. Um, what you'll get is your training multiplied by your genetic ability, which soon makes people aware as whether they're going to be you know, in the top five or in the top 50% or in the back 25%. Then you've got the nutrition side of it and people can tweak their diet. They can, you know, trim the excess calories and suddenly find they're actually a bit more like the shape of people in the top quarter of the race and hence they start moving up the race field. That's right. But also you've got the supplementation side of it that could be something late in the day that is, you know, it's somebody having a caffeine an hour before their 5k running race or midway through an enduro, they're whacking their caffeine drinks down and that improves performance. Or you get the technology and you say, look, even five years ago and definitely 10 years ago, although people thought at that point that the technologies across all the sports were talking bar for probably running where there's been very little incremental move in um in actual technologies you know the the cushioning and so forth is that's it you know it's a such a simple sport it's the you know it's the aerobic people with very low body weight that win races they don't have a special shoe that somebody else hasn't got but when you look at the bike side of it or even the swim side of it or anything yeah. where there's a technical advantage to be had look at you know look at what the um, the speed suits did in swimming world records. Look at what the improvement in the hour record uh, had from 82, 84 onwards once they started to you know, increase the, the, the technology of the bike and the wheels and so forth. So I think that if you look at all of those three and you tweak even the slightest things, you can still stop going backwards and think oh i can't be as quick yeah people do people do buy performance they say oh yeah actually I, you know I, I bought those tires i thought it was a complete lark but actually they work or yeah i've got my you know i've been mucking around with my position and actually this this guy mike drake is the epitome of that he spent quite a few i've got a picture of him before and after and he spent time on his position on his gear he's you know he's done it and lo and behold he's got significantly quicker now we don't know often with people what they were putting out power wise when they first started people don't automatically day one go straight in, go for, straight in no, no, for power no, no. and say oh yeah i've only ever done you know i started time trials and i had power from the very beginning but you rarely see in people that we know their power data and we go back retrospectively, um, once they were up on their game, they rarely have massive increases in power. No. Okay, if they were doing it wrong or they were severely underperforming, there could be a power loss. But once people are doing it right, it's trying to just keep doing all of that right. Yeah. And therefore, you hope to come you know, out of the winter with certainly your equipment at the ready. Um, you've not uh, suddenly crept on um, six kilos that somebody you know, strapped 
onto your body all of a sudden come February, March, April, but that everything you've done before that tended to work, you've kept doing it. Because we rarely see massive improvements in performance. You see these like little incremental 1%, 2%, 3%. And so I was thinking today, and it, it suddenly like came into my mind, I was thinking, actually, it's protecting the consistency that you have because that is the thing that keeps you going and it might be the consistency of keeping on top of your gear it might be the consistency of you know having your period where the chocolate or the wine or the beer or the whatever is is uh, on the increased menu, increased <laughs> yeah and then the point at which you say right if i'm if i'm going to trim down a bit and some people don't yeah. need to do that some people naturally have a low body weight but some people don't and if they ignore that they might find that the biggest reduction in their performance is actually just down to something very simple so i think if you can protect your consistency then you can probably have as good a winter period as as you've had before but comparing to previous numbers i just think there are so many ways you can do that because it's not even really the numbers it's i would say you know what factors or variables do you compare against because you might be riding or or competing in courses that are now known to be faster than the ones you were doing a year before or it could be that you're just a year wiser at just this whole racing game you know what to do but another another thing as well which would be interesting is is to look back like i was mentioning at the start is how how the winter the winter weather affects your training Mm. you know for instance if we have a particularly cold and icy year i can guarantee you that 60 70 percent of people won't go out and ride on the road so most of it will either be turbo rollers um you know it might even cause you not to be able to go out and run um Mm. so you know there is a detrimental it's almost un it's almost unmeasurable isn't it Mm. to the point of you know you 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 can hit these winters uh or these base training with um you know relative fitness and then the weather throws a spanner in the works. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's the biggest issue, I think, mm. sometimes, is the weather. But it's not an excuse to not be going as well. Um, you know, you might have to then make it a bit more scientific and go back to the turbo trainer or, or go back to power measuring, um, you know, time measuring or distance measuring or whatever way you choose to do it. Um, but I think that's quite an interesting what would be quite interesting to have a look through kind of thousands and thousands of figures of people maybe that have two years ago where it was particularly cold and uh, and miserable um, compared to this year's figures mm. where it hasn't been really that cold. It hasn't actually been that miserable yeah. and to see how well you're going at the start of the season. So that, that's I kind of another I, comparison. It, as although well. it makes a difference, it, it has to stop somebody in their tracks to make a big difference. Yes, yes. Because yeah, yeah. actually... I think people, if they are training, are already, you know, you're already underway. You're, you're, not, you're not somehow going to, um, let's say, add on four hours a week and it's going to make you, you know, 25% better. Because if you're already at, and I, I'm not going to give any of Mike's data, but if you're already nearer to the front than the back when you're doing time trials, okay, um, you don't suddenly do you know, three hours extra and that's going to put you at the front. Yeah, yeah. People at the front were born near the front. Okay? This, this is what... and, and the training is only trying to get you to your 99th percentile. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at it, it's almost what things 
could work against you and make you go backwards, which could be injury, could be, you know, equipment failure or ignoring improvements in things that sometimes people are a bit skeptical about. Oh, I don't think it makes that much difference. And they say, look at the good athletes in the sports and look at what they use. Nobody is running the 100 meters in Dunlop Green Flash, right? Nobody. They're just not doing it. And and that is a simple sport of, you know, bodies moving 100 meters. When you start throwing in swimming or biking, you know, very technical sports and you look at the equipment people use, it makes a big difference. And it may be that year on year, you're in the same place physiologically because that's your level. Yeah. You've been, very, you know, if you've been very consistent for... 12 seasons you've probably got a good level of fitness even if you don't train a lot but if you get good equipment that can make that year's improvements obvious it won't make you know somebody um improve so much more that everyone's scratching their head going how can they do that but if you look at i think the places where most people can get improvements it's probably on the right equipment. If that equipment's already been bought, you've only got a few more percent to, to find, it. you know, for the next upgrade of the frame or the wheels or whatever. But if equipment has been a very missed part of this, oh, what am I doing? Uh, am I going to get better this year? If you're missing the um, equipment side of it, you can't make up for that. You no. cannot say, oh, I don't need that. I can just push a bit harder. It's like, no, that's what everyone's doing. But if you're rolling resistance... If your bike's lighter and you're doing a hilly mountain bike race or whatever, you can make that difference. And I think for most people, I hate to say it, they've probably got more chance of improving often by their equipment than they have by doing necessarily a lot, lot, lot more training. Yeah. Obviously, if they are you know, saying, oh, I always seem to be overweight compared to people around me and I never really get my training done, well, then that person can improve and they can improve very simply. But it's amazing how look at the people that are good in any of the sports that we're sort of talking about and they are a very good athlete, they train very well, but they've got very good equipment. Yeah. I, ag- the- I agree. Good. I concur. I concur. Then. So do you compare to previous year's numbers? Yep. But you compare everything, absolutely everything. You know, your situation at work, your situation in uh, what events you're doing, your ability to get yourself there and, you know, do the right warm up and know where the course is going and have the right mental aptitude for the events that count. And sometimes you're just there going through the motions and you say, yeah, I can't measure what's going to happen in the next few months. This is just a, a bit of a jolly, really. And therefore, you look at the general trends. And I think people don't do that. I think they tend to look at every race as as a statement of how good they are instead of yeah. knowing that you get the off races. You get the races where you just, you know, you'd have loved it if it was the day before, day after. But on that day, you really wish it wasn't that day. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But that, that, that could be like multiple days in the winter. Multiple days in the winter. You could find, oh, God, I really don't feel like it. And I had somebody even in the last week. And their diary last week was a... It was a sort of a, they went through it, but there really wasn't much mojo or much energy there. And straight away, Monday this week, they were on it. And they just went, I don't know what happened last week, but this week, you know, they didn't stop training last week. They weren't unwell. It just wasn't happening. This week, totally different. Chalk and cheese. Something hormonally, something physiologically was happening such that that person almost, you know, they couldn't have of stop training last week but it felt like they were going backwards that's what they said it felt like i was going backwards don't worry about it keep going and suddenly 
a week later. Wow, yeah, I'm actually back on That's it. That's a bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which could happen in a race. This one isn't going to happen for you, but you know what? The one in two weeks' time, four weeks' time, or could two be. months' time could be the one that, that oh. sort of happens. Um, here's a question that will become some research. So, have you got your uh, research goggles on? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, judging by the size of the print, I wouldn't need goggles on, would I? Yeah, well, I printed, a, I printed a tweet and it ended up coming out a bit big. So it's literally, I reckon each of those letters are about half an inch it's big. It's like an eye test board. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, so this was from uh, Ian McLaughlin. And he says, uh, Joe, you tweeted, or his tweet says, at Coach Joe Beer, you tweeted that lots of elite athletes used carnine. Well, no, I said carnitine, L-carnitine, okay. Um, do you have evidence that carnitine, <laughs> carnitine, carnitine, yes, carnitine. Do you, have, do you have evidence that carnitine helps them be elite athletes? No, elite athletes are born. Elite athletes have got a, a different raft of genes in their helix. Absolutely. They are, they are different. They're incredibly hardworking. They are lucky to be, you know, probably brought up in the circumstance that they can do sport and get to swimming pools and mountain bike races and running races and stuff. But they have a different set of raw materials to start with. Okay, it's not easy. They don't just turn up and say, "Oh yeah, I just won a gold medal." Didn't do any training. It's, but yeah, but but no, carnitine doesn't make you an elite athlete. But elite athletes use it to get the next one or two or three percent out of themselves. It's funny, I. I... Just this morning, I was reading a little... Um, you were reading? Well, Martin, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I've, I've learned now, so... Okay. And it had pictures as well. Um, it was about Emma Pooley, funny enough, the, yep. the, the female elite rider. Um, and she was kind of... She she was basically making a point for female um, sporting stars or female athletes being kind of massively underrated. But she then go, went ahead to say that with... Her cycling being a full-time job, pretty much. Um, she went and entered a few triathlons and and, and I read, running I read races. what you're about to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she kind of made more money out of coming second, third and winning these than she did cycling. So that is what Joe kind of means about the, 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 the DNA, the makeup, is the fact that these, these elite stars, are, or the, sorry, elite athletes, have it in their... In their in their makeup, you know, and what they're doing with reference to things like kit and supplementation, they're getting that just that little bit, half a percent that makes them win or um, gets the gold medal, that gets them their the 1.5 seconds that they need on this time trial, mm. you know, and, and you know, Emma Pooley basically is a, an ambassador for female sport along with Chrissy Wellington. Um, and there was quite a nice little piece in there where, where they, I think the, the interviewer asked, was asking if they've asked Chrissy Wellington for any, uh, any tips. And Emma Pooley says she's too embarrassed to ask because, you know, obviously um, with Chrissy being her idol. Um, but it just goes to show that these guys, because they've got that nth you know the, the the difference in their makeup is is such that they can pretty much turn their hands to. Mm. I'm not saying they turn their hands to everything and they become, huh. you know, um, you know, top three finishers on on the elite stage of any sport they want to do. But they think, you know, they they know that they've got the physical ability. They just want to wring that last yeah, little yeah. bit out of it um, by by things like supplements, kits, uh, nutrition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and so, that's that's you know that's the. That's the uh, that's the marginal gains. That's the you know um, Clive Woodward looking for one percent. Is that these things do 
they do make a, a, a difference. And elite athletes, if they're, if they're switched on, realise that you cannot extract the... Um, nobody thinks that they don't have to train, but you know they don't think that they can somehow train hard and everybody else and the nutrition is unimportant or that, you know, if they, if they train really hard and they take this magic green algae, whatever, that they don't really have to think about their kit. They realise that each of those three pillars is central to them being at their level. And um, in terms of the, the, the certainly the L-carnitine um, supplement that, uh, Ian was um, sort of tweeting or, or, or talking about. Uh, there's always a history to these things, and the history of it has not had good, solid evidence or enough studies that show what's going on matched what elite athletes knew what was going on. And now there is that. It's all starting to come together. So on the... I think it's on the learning page, and then you click... PDFs on the JBST website. There's two articles that I did um, many, many, many moons ago about L-carnitine, and even then there were elite athletes, there were um, groups of individuals that had done studies that were saying there's something in this, there's something in this, and lo and behold, it's kind of come to fruition now by the fact that we know more about the science and that. It does make sense, and elite athletes that are doing it do notice a difference. But it's not a difference that's going to make an amateur into an elite. It's going to make an elite athlete recover better from their hard sessions. It's going to increase their oxidation of fat. It's going to help it at various levels. But it doesn't help them be elite as such. They are elite, okay? It helps them um, get a few more percent out of their elite body, and there are various supplements that are in that category say those things make a difference they've been you know tested or they've been um, trialed by athletes enough times to say that works and i think that sometimes this gets turned around and it hasn't happened with our carnitine the, the significant piece of research that came out now almost two years ago didn't as i thought it would crop up everywhere you know, and in, you know, every fitness magazine and every Sunday newspaper as a, oh, this'll this'll make everybody brilliant because a look, miracle supplement. Yeah, yeah, a miracle yeah. supplement. Which which I hate, but what it did for me is prove that firstly it could be raised in the muscle to significant extents. That could then create a change in the metabolism and that could then again show an outcome and improvement in performance, particularly a drop in lactate when you're working at a moderate to high intensity. And that was that was that was postulated. It was certainly known by people that were trying it, but it didn't have enough science and, and it was all due to the sort of methodology of how people took it. But um evidence that carnitine helps a be elite athletes, well I know enough elite athletes that that already like you know, say yes, a no-brainer. I mean, they just say yes, a no-brainer. They've known about it. Um, mm. They've kind of known about it through um, either just you know significant people have talked to them, or there's been a you know a certain stream of of um, of, of consciousness about it in certain sports that they've said it. That person's passed that on to somebody else. They've read a bit. And that's why I put those two articles a month ago out on the website. And the fact that his tweet came through um, 12th of uh, February, I think it was just before we did the last podcast. Um, I wanted to get those articles out there and the research is out there as well. And perhaps I should um, 
tweet that particular um let's get tweeting let's tweet that particular thing you might only be able to see i think possibly the abstract um if i remember rightly you had to actually purchase the whole thing but the abstract still tell you what went on and um to me it makes absolute sense i've known about this since working with Matt Belfield, Alan Ingerfield, um, various elite athletes that were at the top level went, blimey, this stuff is allowing me to recover phenomenally well. Um, oh, yeah, the Aussies in south of France are using it. And, oh, yeah, you know, such and such is, is using it. And, of course, if you've got a lot of research saying this doesn't work, meanwhile, people have been sort of super sceptical. But now we know it does work. It's just actually lots of the research studies were flawed because of what they did. Um, they just didn't add enough carbohydrate to the um, to the L-carnitine. But it's a good question, and as a very slight, but not a great um, illustration of how L-carnitine works. But there was one from the Asian Journal of Multidisciplinary Studies, which I think you read quite regularly, don't That's you? That's right. Yes. Yes. Uh, www.ajms.co.in. Um, there was a study where they had um, men exercise give them either three grams of carnitine or just give them nothing an hour and a half before they did um, a Conconi um, ramp test and they looked at blood samples and they basically looked at how much fat and blood lactate there was. Um, the downside was it was a single blind trial um, and the downside of that means is that they knew who was taking the carnitine. Double blind means that they don't know what they're giving people. Single blind means that they, you know, they knew what they were giving people and the subjects didn't know, but the experimenters did. And the downside of that is, of course, experimenters can, you know, what's to say they weren't encouraging people a bit more that were on the L-carnitine, okay? So double blind is by far the uh, the better. But they still found that the L-carnitine, it observed um, differences in free fatty acids. And you can't tell somebody to do that. You can't say to them, right, <laughs> right, right, use more free fatty yeah. acids. Um, uh, blood lactate was better. And okay, so the distance travelled that they did during this particular test increased. And maybe, you know, the um, maybe the distance travelled was down to them being encouraged a bit more. It's not impossible. But you can't tell somebody, look, get your blood lactate down um, and, and do that in any conscious way so the better use of fat and the blood lactate um differences showed that the l-carnitine had an effect this was just one dose of l-carnitine um but i'm an athletes that are switched on know that pre-race they take they take uh they take an l-carnitine dose and sometimes in the race as well this is only one of the of the studies that appears but there is an increasing awareness that it does something and some of the most highly respected uh, sort of experts in the field of um, metabolism and supplementation have already said, um, you know, is the availability of L-carnitine an important factor in um, high intensity exercise? And they're sort of talking about it, groups of people looking at it, a multidiscipline, you know, UK uh, Netherlands, etc., looking at it and saying, you know what, actually, if we can um, kind of manipulate our carnitine, we can make a big difference to quite a lot of sports, you know, from quite short stuff, maybe, you know, your 5k runners right the way upwards. Not going to make any difference to a, a sprinter, not unless it leans them down a bit more or something like that. But for most endurance 
exercise, actually L-carnitine could be one of the most significant supplements. Up there with creatine in the 90s and so on. So there you go. Good work, Joe. No, just it was that's one of my pet that's one of my pet subjects. Did you want to read the um you want you, you look at that, you actually you actually you were he was craning his neck looking over and going, reduced fat oxidation during high intensity submaximal exercise. That's Is the availability of carnitine important? Is it important? Is it Question important? mark. European Journal of Sports Science two thousand thirteen. Do you want to read it? I oh, do you know what? I will, if you don't mind. <laughs> don't laugh at me. I knew you'd laugh as well. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not laughing. I'm, I'm not, not laughing. Um, while, while he's looking at that, he has words on paper. Amazing, isn't it? But bear in mind that I've spent most of my time tonight nodding at you, then thinking, well, no one's ever going to see me nod, are they really? So, no, I'm going to read that. Well, the writing's a bit small, but... <laughs> writing's a bit small. Um, my eyesight's here's, terrible. Here's, here's, a, here's a funny one. Um, caffeinated mouth rinses. I thought this was, I haven't ever seen somebody do this before about taking um, a mouth rinse and having regular mouth rinses through um, what is approximately a, you know, one hour, 65, sorry, 60 minute, 75% peak power test. Um, And they had um, mouth rinses for 10 seconds and it had 35 milligrams of caffeine in each of those mouth rinses. And they did it eight times throughout the time trial. Now, straight away, if somebody gets me to work really hard for an hour, the last time I want, the last thing I want to do every seven or eight minutes is to swill my mouth for 10 seconds. I'm thinking, sure, that's going to slow you down. Because, you know. But um, what, what they did then, spit it out? Yes. Well, yeah. That's, that seems, seems slightly expensive and also very messy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's your conclusion, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think no. so, yeah. Um, there was no elevation in plasma caffeine due to the mouth rinse, so you don't actually absorb it. Maybe, no. maybe that's the 10 seconds, maybe that's just that caffeine doesn't go through that system at that intensity. Maybe there's blood flow going elsewhere and it isn't going to allow it to be absorbed. Um, the funny thing is, is we know that if you take caffeine one hour before a time trial, you will have an improvement in performance. So I don't know quite where they were going with this one in terms of do people really want a mouth rinse every 10 seconds? Because if you were on a bike, because this was cycling, and you reached down eight times in an hour... Um, well, that's, that's what I was just about to say. You're mouth rinsing for 10 seconds, so, you know, what is your hands doing? Where's the bottle gone? You spit it out. Where does that go? All over the side of your, you know, face and your helmet visor and your yeah. arms and your ear <laughs> and everywhere else. But if you do that eight times, um, firstly, you've, you know, you've wasted, you know, the caffeine that you've been um, swilling around your mouth for 10 seconds. Um, obviously, it's it's to test to see whether, you know, whether this even is going anywhere. By the looks of it, it's going nowhere. Yeah. But if you think about how people would ride... Lots of times people say, oh, I'm not going to drink at all. Sometimes people do. They take, you know, on a hot day, they'll take quite a, you know, quite a, a sort of uh, maybe 750, maybe even a litre's worth of liquid because yeah. you can, there's been UK research that shows a litre to a litre and a half is lost in that hour. Now, your body can cope with that, but some people prefer to get liquid on board to keep their throat a little bit wet. And I was quite a long time at, at that intensity for some people not to drink. They hate it. They have to drink. Yeah. But you certainly don't want to be swilling your mouth out every seven or eight minutes with a, a drink where you've got to sort of swill it around for 10 seconds. Well, that's a bit like um, getting people to nose breathe. 
you can't you can't do that easily at threshold or just above. You imagine that. I don't even think I could do that. I'd have to slow down. I would have to slow down. But, but the worst thing is, is you've just gone and forked out for maybe a two and a half thousand pound set of aero wheels on top of a maybe a two and a half to three thousand pound bike, a two hundred pound aero lid, and you're reaching down to swill your mouth out every time. That's pretty much all the aero advantage lost. That Unless you... you had a camelback with a tube, and then you could sip it through yeah, and do but it. You still yeah. have to spit it out. Yeah. Oh well. But anyway. Oh, oh. Anyway. Um, there was no, no, there was no improvement in time trial performance. Um, the times were virtually, well, they, they were no, there was no significant difference. Even though the times were slightly different, it wasn't significant. Um, there's no elevation in the plasma, um, crick, plasma caffeine, sorry, um, and it had no effect on their perceived exertion, heart rate, or blood lactate. So um, it didn't improve performance nor did it elevate caffeine so if somebody tries to sell you a you know caffeinated mouth mouth rinse for for performance and it could be i don't know it could be in an iron man it could be in a you know a, a, a multi multi-stage enduro whatever mountain bike there's some phrases now mountain bike and i didn't even come across what's this what's this enduro gravity enduro gravity you? enduro it's like whoa 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 you can't just own gravity can you well, they've tried to, <laughs> and it's it's actually a disadvantage gravity to them. Is it? Yeah. All right, right. You just put a lead lead um like just plate vest on. Put a lead vest on at the top, and it can really quick, and then drop it off at the bottom. So what are we doing with that bit of research? Then? Well, we're saying don't get don't get a mouth rinse with caffeine in it and spit it out all over your bike because <laughs> it's not working anyway. It's not working. There we go. Bin. Um, now, Garana gum. Or yep. guarana, or caffeine, or anhydrous caffeine, or pre-race drinks like Power Bar Charger and others. There are other brands available. Um, they will um, they will improve performance taken approximately one hour before you race. But the idea that you need to um, somehow you know swirl round, spit out a caffeine. I just think. People would be like, I'm not going to swill that. I'm not going to swill that round my mouth and then end up, you know, spitting it out because I've I've paid good money for that. Um, I may as well swallow it. Yeah. Now whether whether eight lots of caffeine that that will be too late because you're doing it in the event and there's been hundreds of studies and years of research showing take it an hour before. Now whether it would be different and this will come across as being worthwhile if you swallowed the caffeine and you took eight times 35 milligrams over like an Ironman or 24-hour um, type thing. But we already know that because we've got caffeine gels, you've got your Red Bull drinks, you've got, you know, the bars with caffeine in and everything. So we kind of, I don't know where it's going with the mouth rinse, but, you know. Always worth a try, though. Always worth a try, yeah. Until you know it, you can't say that it was an Can't obvious one, really. Um, And for those that are interested, I will put the link up to... What I think is a very interesting study about 38 years of training distribution in Olympic speed skaters and how they concluded that the shift was to polarise training. Um, it means that um, there was a lot more time was spent moving away from the classic uh, sort of if you like, threshold model of the 70s where 40% of what they did was in threshold. Yeah. And now that's dropped down to pretty much 10%. 
Meanwhile, the Zone 1 training has gone from 40% in the 70s and is incrementally climbed to approximately 80%. The Zone 3 work is, I guess that's not quite 10%, so perhaps the Zone 2 is a little bit over 10%, but you know, you've basically got an 80 and then these two combined to make 20, so you've got the 80-20. But that's that speed skate. It's relatively short. But you know, can you see that? How well you can see it, but nobody can. But the zone one training is is ramping up over that almost forty year period. Is ramping up from forty to fifty to sixty to seventy to eighty percent. So they've increased the amount of time. But interestingly, the hours per week. You know, from the seventies even to two thousand and ten, they are doing about six hours of training per week. And you think, wow, you know. These are Olympic speed skaters. That's pretty uh, pretty low on the old um, training time. But then I guess it would depend on the Olympic year, would it? Or well, yeah, they, yeah, they are Olympic. They are Olympic years. They are Olympic years. But yeah, so you know, they're not they're not they're not doing you know mega mega distances anyway. But they still have ramped up their time to spend eighty percent of. Seven hours yeah. is now spent doing zone one work, and there's only a tiny percent in zone two and three. Um, so I will put the uh, the Bitly link up for that particular that thing. Um, it is actually interesting because it talks about what they do and why they why they do it, but also how they've changed, mirroring pretty much what everybody else um, is is kind of concluded across. Still, it's an endurance sport. I mean, it's not it's not over in ten seconds. It's still an endurance sport. But they are mirroring that roughly 80-20 split. Polarised training, as it's being called, um, here, there and everywhere. Blimey. The time has flown. The time has flown. We are approximately an hour and 25 into the um, into the podcast. Um, and uh, what more have you got to say? I think... I, I, I don't think we need to say it anymore, Joseph. Really? I think, effectively, what we have said there is 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 gold. It's gold, is it? Well, there's some very okay. interesting, well, okay. some really good questions, anyway. So, um, and, and you've got that. Look, I, 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 I got, I've got, no, I've got to tell you, <laughs> you be quiet for just one moment. I've got to tell you, he took that piece of research again. It's probably 12 pages stick. Well, well, how many? 12. Oh, no, I'm only going to read two. <laughs> you can't just read the abstract. But, you know, instead of looking at the show notes that are up on the computer screen in front of him, he's reaching over and he's actually teasing at the pages to try and get in there it's just like i've 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 i think i've like almost started a monster i was gonna you say i mean? the dinosaur this this, <laughs> this this idea that the um three year three year old little you know you know that that little uh, oh, yeah, ditty yeah, yeah the one that i'll never live down plus or minus three years and you thought it was a three-year-old in the Mind you, when you did say single blind i thought what they have to pedal fast because one of them had to go blind is that what you're saying I don't no, know. no 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 no, no. don't but, even go there but um it, he's excited he's actually looking over and he's excited to read that study so i'm i'm, I'm gonna read that at breakfast are you yeah that might take you a while, I tell you what. You must have a really long breakfast compared to get the breakfast. Early. You're going to have to get up pretty early tomorrow to read that lot. Anyway, we are, yeah, approximately hour 25 into the podcast. And I think being as it's a, um, being as it's a, um, a sort of a, not pre-season, I think we are in season now. This will come out just before or at the start of May. I think we say, right, that's enough time. People aren't doing ultra endurance all the time now. People that are going up distance will be 
perhaps increasing their training duration in the uh, next few months as they go into their Ironman, the 24-hour cycle race, whatever. But most people starting to chip away at it. So it goes uh, without no further ado. I don't know what. Without that's. further ado. Without further ado. Yes. Um, thank you most of all for listening. We appreciate your comments. Uh, any further reviews or ratings that you can. Um, give at iTunes would be appreciated good or bad we respond to and hopefully um, previous people that have um, made comments have actually made us um, pull our socks up uh, even higher uh, so that it improves and we keep the subjects um, snappy and we keep things just moving along it's it. you know you could you could go around in circles trying to uh, perfect every little last bit but I think what we do is you know we we Look through these things. We add comment. Um, sometimes there's even humour in there. Just about. That's frightening. I know. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, contact us with your. I don't know why I clapped then. <laughs> contact like us it. with your questions. Uh, click contact at coachjobeer.com. The newsletter. Please sign up via the coachjobeer.com. Go to learning and click on the newsletter. Twitter feed. Yeah, there's insider news and athlete uh, achievements between podcasts on there as well. As well as they can go to at South Fort Racing and see um, the... Uh... I'm not on there. <laughs> so you're going to wait for you to see, see the beautiful face of uh, Martin Crocker. I might see if I can get that. Um, Facebook page as well for questions and discussions. And I think most of all, just to keep, keep listening and keep us... Um, keep us uh, entertained by giving I think there's been some really good questions over yeah, the last brilliant. Uh, it's been it's actually been almost a couple of months by the fact that we've done the podcast from Mallorca did Dave Scott did Scott and Edley so you know Joe's had a few imposters on <laughs> well it's just it's really good. nice it's really it nice because tonight you can tell we're in we're in the season because tonight instead of getting this glaring face suddenly appear at the window and I jump a mile, it was actually light. Yeah, I So know. as you walk towards the office, like, I can see him. He's not going to scare me. <laughs> as normal. He's not going to scare me as normal as he does in the middle of winter. <laughs> um, so thank you very much. Remember, we're into the season now. Whatever your winter's been, even if it doesn't rack up numbers-wise, even if you think, mm, not quite sure, now's the time to get out there and, uh, you know, do some training. Do some racing or just test yourself, but it won't be long before we talk about it going in reverse and people talking about lower temperatures and shorter nights and all that. So whilst uh, whilst the sun shines, I think make hay. Amen. Test, test, test. One, two, three. Twenty second of April, two thousand fourteen. Two, two, <laughs> two, 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 one, two, two, two. Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. After that comes three. One, two. That's three. what I know. <laughs> that's as far as I'm going.